It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in today. We are continuing our study of the millennium. That's right, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. If you have missed our prior broadcast, then you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll find a list of all of our prior broadcasts, including videos and sermon notes and all the resources that you might need to go and share alike. Go and tell others about this good news as we look expectantly to the coming king's reign on earth. That's right, in the midst of all the the noise today, all the chaos, it seems, you can't turn on the news these days without getting discouraged. It is such a wonderful study to put our eyes on the coming king's reign. That's right, Jesus Christ will reign literally over the earth, and I believe that to be a literal 1,000-year reign over this earth. In fact, he'll reign from Jerusalem, and we've been covering a number of these details and how that's going to look, and we're going to get into more specifics as we examine especially the book of Ezekiel and some of Isaiah. We've been right now uh, putting our attention to the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation gives us some of the details about the millennial reign of Jesus, but it's really in Ezekiel we find so many details that are given to us there. Even the size of the temple, all the dimensions and the aspects of the worship of Jesus Christ. We'll examine how old people live, those who are still mortals on the earth during the time of the king. And so there's so much to cover in this study. We hope you've been blessed as we've been going through this. This is really part six in our study now. Again, so if you have missed the prior broadcast, all of this is available to you at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. It's right here at Colorado Springs, and we'd love to worship with you. Let's get into our study. Let me recap for you just a little bit today. Dr. Ford is not with us today, but he will be back in the studio next week. So I'm just going to spend a little time here at the beginning, just recapping in brief what we studied last week so you can catch up just a little bit. What we were looking at, and specifically here, is to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Let me read that to you. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there's several events that are taking place prior to, during, and after the millennial reign of Christ. And Matthew 25 really gives us the order for that. What we find in Matthew 25, 1 to 3, that correlates with Revelation 19, 6 to 10 is this wedding feast with the Lamb. We'll talk more about that. But then Jesus will examine our works, and that's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Those those are powerful words that we find in verse 23 of Matthew 25. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, this judgment of the believers is called the Bema Seat of Christ. That's what we spent some time looking at last week. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Let me read that to you again. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, at this judgment, Christians will receive degrees of reward for their works of service to God. 
Now, that's covered in a number of places. We especially highlighted Matthew 16 and Luke 6 and 14. You can go all the way through the epistles, and you'll find a number of references to this. So we were created for good works, to do these good works as God has appointed for us to do them. Anything good that comes out of us is because of him anyway. He both wills it and does it through us, and we are conduits of God's working. So we're not working to attain salvation. Rather, he has expectations of these individuals who he foreknew before time began that they would be lights in a dark place, that they would go forth and carry his message and be obedient servants. And that's why the Apostle Paul speaks of this running of this race, of the judgment seat in which the judge presides over all those who run. And the word to run is not for a perishable wreath, but for an imperishable wreath. Ultimately, we're desiring the Lord's good pleasure. We desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we see in Philippians 3.14 that I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And now that's about where we ended last week. We spent a great deal of time talking about this, especially since the fact that there are some 59 different verses about how the Lord will reward his faithful servants. So let's just look at just a few of those. And let me kick it off with Revelation 22, 12, where he really, it's, it, it gives us a warning. It's something that we should uh, maybe stir a little bit of urgency, a little urgency in us. Here's what he says, Revelation 22, 12. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Following up with that, we read Hebrews 11.35, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, again, you think, well, I'm being resurrected under the Lord. I'm in in eternity with Him. What could be better than that? Well, there's something about being able to present something back to the King, the faithful servant who took all that he could, presented it to the Lord, everything that was given to him, the talents given to that servant, everything done in faithful service to the king and being able to take this to him, laying it at his feet, and it's he who worked it through us anyway. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. See, God is seeing all that we are doing. And when we do these works for the least of these He is glorified. It seems that he surrounds us by people who are in need. We have people all around us who tend to need our undivided attention at times as they're perhaps going through a difficult time, maybe even financial need, those who are in need of even clothing and shelter. And God has surrounded us with these needs because out of us is is cultivated uh, this image being conformed to the image of Christ as we serve the least of these. He says in Matthew 6, 4, your father who sees everything will reward you. Romans 2, 6, God will render to every man according to his deeds. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, we read in James chapter 2, 14 to 26, that this is a reminder, if you will, of a byproduct of a transformed life, that these works are to glorify God, and that we will be rewarded for them. But the works, again, as I mentioned, are not for salvation. They're the result of salvation. And we see in Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we do need we need to read then verse 10, because he says here, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, Jesus speaks of believers being repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, repaid for humility, servitude, and yes, obedience, as we see in Luke 14, 14. And Matthew 13, 44 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. This is the life of the one who understands the, this parable to forsake all that the world has to offer for a treasure that awaits the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. I love Hebrews chapter 11 because it's what we call the, the faith chapter. And in it, we have these great examples of people who forfeited the temporary treasures in this life for a greater commendation in the life to come. I mean, listen to this of Moses even, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Oh boy, that is when faith fundamentally transforms your operating in the physical world. When what is unseen makes manifest in what is seen, that's when something happens that's spectacular and supernatural within an individual. When they start to change, when they're they're transformed in how they're operating in the everydayness of life, by this reality, that's the spiritual light bulb moment, I believe. That's why we see with Noah how he's able to commit over a century of his life to building a boat when all the scoffers were probably hurling all sorts of insults at him, that he would build this boat because he believed God. Just go through Hebrews chapter 11. You'll be reminded of all of these who believed God and their lives were changed. They operated differently. They went where God wanted them to go. They thought as God wanted them to think. They blessed as God wanted them to bless. Everything that they did was changed because they believed in the invisible God and his very visible blessings and the reality that would come even in an unseen reality of a future that perhaps they were never going to see in this flesh because they believed in the promise maker. So an investment of your life in Christ Jesus will yield an outcome of an eternal reward. Listen to these powerful words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 to 14. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which he has given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can another lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. You see, we can lay up a lot of treasures that are frivolous things that were done in the flesh 
to appease the flesh. But if our labors are done for the king, and if it's to his glory, these are the treasures that will endure throughout eternity. What, a, what an additional reward that we have received. I just think, you know, eternity in and of itself is magnificent. I mean, we are just given a glimpse of it in Scripture. But then he tells us about all of these rewards he keeps wanting to bestow upon us, one of which is a crown. You've heard that a time or two, I suspect. In 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. That's right. He wants to put crowns on your head, plural. There's several crowns that are identified in Scripture. For example, the everlasting crown, the crown of victory that's mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He then highlights the crown of the soul winner in Philippians 4.1 and 1 Thessalonians 2.19. There's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8 and the crown of life that we see in James 1.12 and Romans 2.10. We also get the crown of glory. And 1 Peter 5, 4, what a magnificent crown. But here's the thing. You may receive your crown as a reward for your service, but it will never be, I don't believe, for the crown that you served. It was always for God's glory. When we truly get it, when we're truly serving the Lord with all that's in us, that he simply be glorified by your labors, then when you receive that crown, I believe that we'll do as the elders did. There are 24 elders that are gathered around the throne. We get a visual of that in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. And you recall, perhaps, what they did with their crowns. Listen to this. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, an important point to remember in this is the true believer cannot lose their salvation. Okay, that's a key thing to, to remember as we're talking about works. And you go to Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, for an example of a false believer or even the willful rejecter of Hebrews chapter 10, 26 to 29. But the warning that we're given is that we can lose our crowns. Now, I might have gotten to your attention with that. We're not going to lose salvation if we're truly in love with the Lord Jesus. If we truly have, have confessed his name as Lord. I mean, we're told that in Romans 10, 9. If we confess with our mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We are assured that his grip is solid, that he will not lose any that belonged to him, especially since they were foreseen before time began. And that's where we get predestination and that discussion from. But as we know that his grip is sure, we also can find ourselves, well, getting a little complacent, a little apathetic. We talked a great deal about that last week, how we can sit on our fire insurance, if you will. Somehow we become disobedient because we become so content with all that Christ has done, we don't desire his good pleasure. Perhaps our prayer life has waned. He tells us that a good disciple is in his word. So we've now forsaken our time with him in prayer, forsaken our time in his word, not becoming the diligent students of his word that we should be, and then wondering why we're not producing the fruits 
that are expected of those who truly call on the name of the Lord, the ones who are the good soil that the seed has been planted in and a crop is being yielded of, of great numbers beyond even human possibility. I mean, we're talking about the, the, the one who reaps a harvest doing a good work in us where he and he alone receives the glory for us for any of those works that have been done. So listen, we can lose our crowns if we've taken our eyes off the prize. In Romans, excuse me, Revelation, let's go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, he says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Well, Revelation chapter 3 was a call to perseverance, to the overcomer, that they not forfeit their rewards. And you're thinking, well, what rewards beyond the crown? Well, listen to this. In context here, in addition to the crowns that he wants to bestow upon us, there is this list in Revelation chapter 2 to 4 of 12 other things, wonderful blessings that God wants to bestow upon the overcomer. Listen to these. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. You have the right to eat from the tree of life in paradise with God. And that in, in and of itself should be enough. But he has more. Listen to this. Eternal life, immortality of Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. Then he says we have the right to eat of the hidden manna. Now, that was once where they, you know, the Israelites would have understood that quite well, because that was the place of the Holy of Holies in the ark itself. Remember, inside the ark was the manna, the, the staff of Aaron, the Ten Commandments. It was a, a positioning, if you will, a vivid imagery of the authority of God, the provision of God, the laws of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, and now we have this opportunity to eat of the hidden manna, which means that in the Holy of Holies, where they could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement, now that is open to you and I. We now have full access to God to eat what was sacred before in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. We also receive a white stone. Now, there's the Urman and the Thummim. You've probably heard of those. There was, a, there was a white stone and a black stone that were hidden underneath the ephod of the high priest. And the white stone, when it would glow, it seems that this is possibly an imagery of that. That was a confirmation from God. That was a yes from God. So we receive a white stone in Revelation 2.17. And on it, we receive with it a new name, according to Revelation 2.17. You also have authority over nations. In Revelation 2.26, unity with Christ Jesus forever. In Revelation 2.28, you also receive a white robe. It's clean. You're made white, pure, and undefiled. Revelation 3.4-5, you also receive eternal citizenship in heaven. According to Revelation 3.5, there's also a pillar with you. Your image, you're given an image here of you representing a pillar in the temple in Revelation 3.12, and the Lord gives you a new name, and this new name also comes with his new name. He writes his new name upon you in Revelation 3.12 and Revelation 19.12. So finally, listen to this one. You receive the right to sit with Christ on his throne in Revelation 3.21. So after we've stood before the Lord and received our rewards, Christ then appoints to us positions of service and responsibilities during his reign all across the globe. He calls us a royal priesthood for a reason. And you see that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and 5, chapter 20, even 1 Peter 2. 
At the tabernacle, there were two seats, a seat of judgment and a seat of mercy, known as the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was located in the Holy of Holies for Jesus Christ to make atonement on behalf of the people before the the Father. And then you have the judgment seat where Moses would hear the issues of the people before God. And Jesus now takes his rightful place on both seats of authority as atonement and judge. And at the judgment seat is where he will judge the nations and reward or remove crowns based on the works of his servants. Now, Christ never intended to judge the nations alone. He always designed a system. He he then chooses to delegate judgment through this system, and he assigns them to people over nations. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. You see, Jesus indicated to his disciples in the parable of the minas that some were to rule over 10 cities, some over five, etc. You see that in Luke 19, 17 and 19. Let me read that to you again. And he said to them, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, master, your mina has earned five minas. He says, likewise, he says to him, you also will be over five cities. So this is just like the judgment seat of Moses in Exodus 18, 13 to 27, when Moses spent a majority of his time judging the people from morning until evening. So Jethro encouraged Moses to select capable leaders to judge the affairs of the people. And that's where we read in Exodus 18, 21 to 22. Moreover, you shall select from the, all the people able men, such as those who fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. You see, Jesus is going to set up a system for governing the peoples of the earth during his thousand-year reign. And within his own temple, there there will be many rooms for all the priests, by the way. And these priests will offer sacrifices unto the Lord, according to Ezekiel 43 and 45. And they will serve as a reminder of the sins for the people as they worship the Lord, according to Hebrews 10.3. We'll talk more about that in a later study. Now, these priests will also serve as a supreme court, if you will. That's that's the type of system that Jesus Christ establishes. In Ezekiel 44.23-24, he says, And they shall teach my people the differences between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges." And judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. So Jesus Christ will appoint many of us to be kings and priests with a judicial role. And should there be any issues we can't resolve, these issues will go before the priests in the temple. Now get this, if they can't resolve the issue, then Jesus himself will resolve it according to Micah chapter 4 verse 3. So you see, there's an entire system that's put into place for judges, that the judge appoints jurisdictional authorities to other judges. This is why he calls us a royal priesthood. There's a, a royal service as well as a priestly service. And then we'll talk about that even with this huge temple that Jesus Christ rules from there in Jerusalem and all the cities that come to worship him 
at his throne. It's all part of this magnificent display of his glory for a thousand years in which he also honors his promises where you and I are given positions of authority during that thousand year reign. That's why it's so critical that as we're serving the Lord today, we do so with that vision in mind that we are trying to lay up treasures to present to him that will not erode from uh, from moths or rust or any type of superficiality of it, because that's what we tend to do. We labor for things that are frivolous, that are fleeting, that will no longer be of any value to the Lord at all. Rather, let us labor for something that is a treasure that brings him glory, that pleases him, that gives him good pleasure, where we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope this has been encouraging to you as you study this. Please go back and study it for yourself. Be encouraged by these things, and we'll continue to examine the rest of our study here is is great and elaborate and wonderful. It's an exciting study of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Again, I hope you've been blessed by this. Go back and listen to it again at Calvary Fountain. If you're looking for a church to go deeper in your studies together with others, check us out Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.